Pam 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 pam. Hello and welcome to Ben and Luke's Excellent Adventures, the podcast where Luke makes me watch movies that I've never seen, uh, and then we talk about them. So, Luke, what did you make me watch this week or this month? This is a very special month because of the fact that we got to watch not only a season-appropriate film, but my favorite movie of all time, Groundhog Day. And for all two people besides Ben who've never seen this movie, it is a film directed by the late, great Harold Ramis, starring the one and only Bill Murray, who Ben now officially recognizes. I did recognize him. I said, hey, it's that guy. Hate you so much. I also, uh, I also, I also wondered aloud: uh, Is this actor always playing jerks? Because the last movie I saw with him was Scrooged. He plays a good jerk. I'll just put it that way. <laughs> Honesty and sincerity are not his best traits, but they always confi- Yeah, they always uh, pull back to reveal a very honest person in, in his core. Did we watch another movie with him? Um. Well, let's see. You've seen Ghostbusters. Yeah, but it's been a long time since I saw that. You, we watched Rushmore. Oh, that's right. Okay, yeah. And you should have seen like every other movie he's ever done, because seriously. Uh, I saw Scrooged, and um, I watched, I think I said this before on Rushmore, that I saw the first 15 minutes of Lost in Translation. Just going to go ahead and add, like, all of his IMDb catalog to the list now. <laughs> but Groundhog Day. A film so great that it has completely and totally permeated our pop culture and become its own military catchphrase. What are your initial impressions? I liked it. Um, while watching it, I actually noticed that I, I took far fewer notes than I did on any other movie except for the one I watched at your house without taking any notes because I was so engrossed in the movie that I, I just dropped everything else I was doing and watched it. So what features grabbed you the most as far as the writing, the acting, the set? I don't know. I think I, I, think I really got into, I guess you'd say, the writing of it uh, or the story. Uh, I think I think the minute... On the, the second time around, when he was talking to the guy trying to sell him insurance again, I think was when I really, uh, I, that was it. I was hooked. Ned? Ned Ryerson? Yep. I love that character so much. Just <laughs> everything about him is so completely perfect for anybody who's ever dealt with the insurance industry in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> I don't know. It gave me, gave me too many flashbacks. <laughs> Yeah, the script for this film is, in in my opinion, is just absolutely flawless. I mean, it it manages to have a very endearing ending without being soppy in any way, shape, or form. The film never gets cammy, never gets canny, it never gets campy. It's just, it's very, very real while still having a very, very emotional core. Yeah, um, and one of the other things I realized is that for. <laughs> You are going to laugh at me so hard. Um, a lot of the movies that I haven't seen, um, I will have an incorrect impression of what the movie is going to be because I will have it conflated with another movie or movies that have a similar name or were released at a similar time, but I never saw either. Um, so Groundhog Day, I realized I was conflating it with Crumpy Old Men. Oh, my God. What, what the hell? <laughs> 
So I don't know why, but I was expecting there to be more uh, like old people dealing with um, the day repeating or whatever. I think I'm having flashbacks to the scene where he just calmly grabs the toaster and wanders to the bathroom. And <laughs> This is what you're doing to me, Ben. Well, there is one old man in this movie, and it is the saddest scene ever, so... Yeah, it's a, yeah, the saddest set of scenes. Way sadder than the old man from Home Alone. I don't care what anybody says. I don't know why anyone would ever think that movie was sadder than this one. But uh, not to jump too far ahead, but it was an important part of him learning that there are some things he can't force or that he can't change. Yeah, it was a very effective brick wall for him to run into. Um, yeah, before we jump into too much of that, do you want to give a quick summary of what the what the movie was? Sure. So for all the two people out here that haven't seen it, um, Groundhog Day is a sci-fi film on some level. This is a film wherein a very, very self-centered jerk who happens to work as a weatherman gets sent to cover the most famous weatherman in the world, Punxsutawney Phil, on Groundhog's Day. Um, in the course of this he ends up getting stuck in the town of Punxsutawney and wakes up the next day only to realize that he is not just stuck in the town, he is in fact stuck in time. And the film's uh, creators have estimated that he spends about 40 years, maybe even longer. There was actually one draft where he was estimated to have spent 10,000 years (laughs) reliving the same day over and over and over again. Eventually, though, Phil does manage to find some way to make the best of his situation. But yeah, that's uh, the part of the movie where he starts, he stops, like at first he's just doing whatever he wants, but then eventually he like has apparently memorized every bad thing that was happening that day and has able to just like walk around town, like saving somebody from choking, catching a kid falling out of the tree and everything like that. And that was, I think, juxtaposed with the, the older homeless man that he could not, like that he, you know, I want to have a nice meal with, or, you know, have a meal with, and then he took him to the hospital, and the kid, like, he just died there. And I can't remember if he was actually sick when he took him to the hospital, for he was just taking him there because he was in general in ill health or what. Now, you had first found him dying in an alleyway, and then, uh, and then just kept trying to find some way to save him over and over again, and just couldn't do it. Even his his powers of knowing exactly what's happening, even that couldn't save him. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, the whole sequence of him figuring out how everything works in the city, in the in the town, though, and how everything fits together is one of my favorite bits of the whole movie. Though, just that sequence where he's sitting talking to Rita in the diner and saying, you know, maybe God just knows everything because he's been around so long. You know, maybe he's not really all powerful or omniscient. Maybe he just knows everything. Mm-hmm. Which, which would be on, on this shit, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's just something about that moment of him. Yeah, this this film is consistently referred to as one of the most spiritual films of all time. And yet, as Roger Ebert points out, that's about the height of this of the actual religious overtones of the film. Yeah, everything is in the. Um... Just the way he interacts with with the situations he's in, and there's no, no, but he's never speaking out loud any you know philosophical thoughts about the whole thing. 
which is the other thing I noticed in a lot of movies where something like this happens, it will be the result of something like, you know, the, the jerk's kid makes a birthday wish so that his dad can't lie or whatever. Uh, and then some magic happens, but it's never explained why this is happening to him. Yeah, it is. It is, in a sense, very philosophical, just for that very just for that very reason, and because of the fact that they never do explain it. It's just somehow he's ended up in a time loop, and he's got to make the best of it. So after I after I watched the movie, I was trying to figure out: was there at some point did um, his his read of the name of the woman he came with? Yeah, the producer. The producer. Um, I was trying to figure out: was there at some point in the beginning of the movie did she say something like that? Like, because that's what I ex- expect from. Um, I guess less great movies is that at some point she would have just made it, you know, just made an offhand camera. Like, I wish you would learn how to something, something, you know? Nope. Never happens. The film. And, and that's one of my favorite parts about it is it does avoid every cliche that you're talking about. Yeah, the film just manages to be itself. It doesn't have to hang a lampshade on anything. It doesn't have to draw attention to it. It just plays out. We never even have the scene where he, you know, makes the audience feel like idiots by having to explain his whole master plan. He just does it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you get you get that he's a jerk in the beginning, and he's he's trying to use his powers to get laid. You know, <laughs> and then he eventually <laughs> figures it out. You know, decides to try something different. I think it's the same. It's like a natural proge- progression of what an average person would do. Maybe they don't start off being as big of a jerk as he is. Um, but I think that's kind of the way a person would react to that. And yet he is still the same guy at the end of the movie. He's a, you know, he's, he's just less self-centered, less self-absorbed, but at his core, he's still the same person. But he can ice carve now. He can ice carve. He's, he's very good at it. He makes angels. (laughs) He can throw a mean snowball too. (laughs) <laughs> but I think it's just something about the magic of that film. You know, Harold Ramis and Bill Murray working together is is always like that, where the two of them just manage to bounce off of each other so perfectly, which actually makes it kind of a shame that this was the last film they ever did together. Mm. What are the other ones that they have done together before? Uh, let's see. Caddyshack, uh, Meatballs, Ghostbusters... Um, Stripes. They they did a ton of movies together. They were just it was one of the best working relationships in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. It's of those I've seen Ghostbusters. So, well, don't worry. The rest are on the list. <laughs> they are now. <laughs> At least three of them were already on the list. I know, but. On a lighter note, I think my my favorite funny scene in the movie is when he uh, groundhog naps the Phil, just steals the groundhog and drives off in a truck. I know that's the only way I can get my daughters to watch this movie is because of that scene. <laughs> but then you have to explain why he's driving the truck off a cliff. Nah, they just think it's part of the movie. They they accept that as Hollywood magic. Mm-hmm. Although it does do the um, it does do the cliche thing there where the truck falls off the cliff and everyone's looking over and somebody's like, didn't somebody even say like maybe maybe they made it and then the truck explodes. Yeah, he, he could be okay. Well, 
Well, not now. This that is be. about the most cliche moment in the film. You are correct. <laughs> but even the... there, something about Chris Elliott's delivery is just so wonderful for that moment. <laughs> uh, and the whoever the the groundhog keeper official guy is was hilarious in that scene too. Bill Murray's brother, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, Brian Doyle Murray. He shows up in a lot of Bill Murray's movies. In fact, in Ghostbusters 2, which I believe you have seen, and I think you've seen the second one, right? Probably, but I don't remember specifically. Well, at one point they get brought before a psychiatrist and he plays the shrink. Hmm. Yeah, I, pro- I probably have seen it. I just don't remember it. I probably saw it like when it came out. Yeah, 1989. That's before the 1996 cutoff date. So I, I did see that movie. Mwah, mwah. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, Bill Murray was in Space Jam. I saw that one, too. Well, at least you've seen him. <laughs> no, that is that is legitimately one of the best movies ever. Seriously, Space Jam rules. So is there anything about this movie that I might not have caught watching it the first time and not knowing anything about movies? Well, I don't know, Ben. You should probably watch it again and again and again. Though I, I'd say that jokingly, but honestly, that is this is one of those movies that the first time you watch it, you think, that was a good movie. It was a lot of fun. The second time, the third time, the fourth time, the fifth time, after, after, the more you watch it, the more you will love this film. You know, I called it my favorite movie, and that's not an exaggeration. The only reason why I only watch this thing on Groundhog Day is because Diana won't let me watch it every day. <laughs> I used to bug her. Uh, you know, I used to bug my wife by just having it in the queue for any time we were watching movies. And so we would be sitting there watching something, and then all of a sudden it would just start playing. <laughs> The film, uh, a couple of interesting facts that you might not have picked up on, though. Do you know where the film was shot? Uh, Puxatawney, Pennsylvania? Incorrect. Woodstock, Illinois, actually. I think I did know that, but I was I was thinking that. I was thinking, I must be thinking of a different movie, because there's another movie that was shot in Illinois like that. It, it used to be a pretty popular spot for shooting films. Um you know, a lot of movies in the early 90s and late 80s were shot in Illinois. Um, I assume it was something about the tax uh, tax situation or something was friendly for it. But there was a ton of them that were done that way. Um, but yeah, this film was shot in Woodstock, Illinois. And you can actually still visit some of the sets. Uh, the diner that they did was originally just supposed to be built for the film. But the locals actually decided to just go ahead and keep it around. But um, they did a fantastic job, though, with the filming of this thing. I can only imagine how much fun it must have been to be a part of this production, you know? Yeah, it did. It did seem like a lot of fun. I mean, as you're watching it, one of the things you'll catch is, every, you know, you can sit there and watch some of the scenes side by side and just notice that all the extras come out at the same times. You know, everybody's hitting the same cues. It was just ridiculously well orchestrated. I did. I actually did notice that, that they, they kept the... Um the scene to scene um the things like that consistent which was a it was nice that they had paid that much attention to it i think that uh he if i were in his situation i would have i would have figured out that pothole thing a lot sooner than he did though yeah well you know he had a lot on his mind ben i mean come on 
<laughs> I kept waiting for him to do something like um, stand on the other side of it and try to get Ned to walk into it instead of him or something. But it was just so much more satisfying having him just haul off and punch him. <laughs> My favorite was the time that he, he out-netted Ned and Ned was like, oh, I, I gotta go. That is pretty much awesome. You know, I don't know where you have to be, but can you call in sick? <laughs> but, uh, you know, as far as the extras and the setting the scene and, you know, just having all this consistency in it, another really fun thing is just going back and watching it over and over again and seeing all the different characters that show up in multiple places, too. Because um, you'll see, you know, the piano teacher shows up walking across the uh, street in front of the hotel as he's leaving and... uh you know, folks from the diner will be showing up in various locations around. It's just, you know, every single person is just showing up over and over again. It feel it makes it feel like a very authentic small town. Yeah, it did. I mean, growing up in a small town, it really did. It really did uh, capture that feel for a lot of things. I mean, in some things, you know, I always point to like animation where you'll see the same background characters show up episode after episode, and it's just because they don't want to have to design another character. But in this one, it just lended, it, it was weird because in that sense, for these, a lot of these animation projects, it kind of takes you out of the moment. But for this one, it actually makes you go further in, you know, it, it lends more authenticity to it. Mm-hmm. Oh, the other, the other movie that was filmed in Illinois that I was thinking of was Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, which is also another movie where someone's travel is stymied by a blizzard. And also another fantastic film. Have you actually seen that one? I saw about 70% of it this winter. Well, I'm about 70% proud of you. <laughs> Another thing that I really love about this film is just the scoring of it. Um, you know, you get this sense of uneasiness when they start revealing that it is the same day over and over again, and you start having these moments of dread with it. Yeah, there's a lot of um, a lot of things about that that are kind of like the serve like as many as many things as you can think of that it would be fun to do it's also a lot of things that would be to get old that would get old fast and just being trapped in one day like you can't as soon as he starts trying to build a relationship with anybody you know just everything falls apart the next day and he starts having these very inhuman relationships too you know the whole scene where he's trying to basically do pickup artist bullshit on Rita, you know, by learning all of her likes and dislikes and keeping a running list. You have a list? You know, is this what love is to you? You know, that just that whole sequence where she calls him out on it. And then she won't remember it the next day. And then, you know, after she does it though, I mean, he keeps trying to do it again. You know, you see the scenes where he's still trying to do the same thing, but he's, he just can't make it work anymore. And he's just, getting more manic and more unstable. Mm-hmm. And you just start to realize that, you know, like you said, it's, it's not really, he's not able to have any actual relationships with these people. They're just going to forget it. And he's going to go right back to being a jerk. I would also be disturbed by the fact that he can't, he can't take a hot shower because, Oh, there wouldn't be any hot water today. Oh, of course not today. Of course. Yeah, I mean, just all these little minor inconveniences that he's having to deal with for a period of years, whether it's 40 years or 10,000 years, it's it's just, you can't imagine how incredibly mind-numbing that must be. Mm-hmm. At least he learned to play the piano and stuff like that. 
Yeah, I mean, he's eventually able to have enough resources to to learn some skills. Though I actually wonder about the piano one, because we see that his physical state is not transferred from one day to the next in the fact that he's able to come back to life and things like that. So how is he able to train his muscles to be able to play the piano like that? Because that is both a physical, yeah, that's a physical skill as well as a mental skill. Mm-hmm. I want to know what he was doing to keep his fingers in shape so that he could just transition right into playing. He, he could really only play the, like one song a day. It's true, but you know, I'm just saying. That's the one nitpick I have about the film. It's another one of those films, too, that I feel like as much as praise as we're heaping on Bill Murray, and, and rightfully so, it's one of those films where every single actor was working their butt off. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are so many memorable little one-note characters in this film. In this film, you know, one little one-scene wonders in this film. Um, you know, of course, we mentioned Ned Ryerson already. Stephen Toblowski was fantastic in it. Um, you have Chris Elliott. You have Andy McDowell. But just even just the little diner patrons and uh, folks that show up at the party at the end that are just talking him up. You know, the little old ladies that he helps with the tire. He's from. <laughs> He's from the Motor Club. And then they pay two bits for Chris Elliott. <laughs> Actually, I mean, I, that character was funny. Like, at first he seemed like a normal guy, but as um, you see him just in little glimpses from uh, Bill Murray's perspective, he starts really coming off as a, as a huge creep. The cameraman yeah. character? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think that's one of the interesting things about Bill Murray's, you know, Phil Phil Connors's uh, rise in the film is that it it's kind of joined with his character being revealed to be kind of a schmuck. Because you definitely do sympathize with Chris with the cameraman at the beginning of the film when Phil Connors is just being antagonistic with him and just treating him like dirt. You start to feel so sorry for him, and then as soon as Phil as he doesn't have that character dragging him through the mud, you just end up saying, oh. Oh no, he's oh, oh. <laughs> yep. It's like he's one of those guys that only looks better by comparison. <laughs> I'm also amused with you know talking about some of those side characters. There's actually one of the guys in there, and this is going to be kind of wasted on you because you've probably never seen anything else that this guy's in. But one of the actors in the that plays one of the random side characters is actually a fairly pretty well known actor nowadays. And he's had roles in Boardwalk Empire, uh, the most recent Superman movie, all kinds of different things. Uh, his name is Michael Shannon, and so recently the internet discovered that he's in this movie. Twenty five years later, you know. <laughs> so there's just something so wonderful about finding out that. You know, some random character in the background of a, fil- a film from 1993 is now starring in major blockbuster motion pictures. But he was the uh, young, the groom from the young couple that gets WrestleMania tickets to the end. <laughs> That's another really funny scene. <laughs> WrestleMania! Yeah, I'm, I'm looking in. This is the only movie I've seen with this guy in it. Well, he is extremely talented and uh very very intense i would say that he reminds me of my friend drew except you know on crack um yeah like one of the other things that i liked overall in the movie was he didn't um like he didn't know anything like what was his what would, like there's no indication as to what made him um break out of the loop 
but it didn't happen until he really he stopped trying and just started going going with the flow and even though he was using all the things he'd learned through all these iterations um he was no longer like on a mission to get you know get in bed with some woman or um to try to do such and such a thing he had just it seemed like he was going around um like rescuing all these people from their whatever random thing was going to happen to them that day um and otherwise just trying to have a good time and do things like that yeah i think that last point i mean that's that's really how i would sum it up is just he was just going around and doing these things for the sake of doing them he wasn't trying to get into anybody's pants he wasn't trying to you know break out of the cycle anymore he he just figured he had to make the best day he possibly could if he was having, if he was going to have to be stuck there forever and then it worked <laughs> you know i don't get the sense and there's probably arguments that could be made about this but i don't get the sense at the end of the film that he's trying to break out of it by having the perfect day or anything like that i don't get the sense that it's, that it's all that calculated and i think that's part of the point is that he is rewarded for doing the right thing I almost, I almost thought of it like um, he was in a, an infinite episode of, of Quantum Leap, and it wasn't until he had saved everybody uh, that he could find, like maybe he had nothing to do with anything that he was doing for himself. It was just some random thing he did that day it was the one thing he had to fix. Yeah, he just finally found it by sheer numbers. <laughs> We're gonna find out that what it really was that is that he saved. Uh, some woman at the party from being hit on by Chris Elliott and by getting him to be bought by the old women for two bits. That's how he saved the world. <laughs> it was with WrestleMania tickets that really did it. Oh yeah. There we go. But the film just never, you know, it, it never feels calculated. It never feels manipulative by the end there. You definitely feel calculated. It definitely feels calculated and manipulative at the beginning, his machinations, but at the end of the film, it just feels like he's finally transcended all that. Mm-hmm. It's very Buddhist, which has been pointed out by many, many, many Buddhists. I mean, I was, I was kind of thinking the same thing. As soon as he, as soon as he stopped trying to win, that was when he won. <sighs> but yeah, that's that's Groundhog Day. You got anything else? Other than that, you should probably just watch it again right now. I'll, I'll think about it. Seriously, you will love it. Every year, just come over to my place. It'll be great. <laughs> All right, well, what's the, what's the next movie that I have to watch? It's another heartfelt comedy called Children of Men. And by heartfelt comedy, I mean post-apocalyptic dystopian future. <laughs> I, I seriously was expecting you just to, to go into the exact same... Uh, like the same thing you did last episode where, but the, with the movie being Groundhog Day again I'm kind of disappointed that you didn't do it oh no don't don't worry you'll find out next episode Ben next episode <laughs> Children of Men you say Children of Men it is a fantastic film from actually the past decade uh, from the from the aughts so this is probably the newest film that we have reviewed so far. One of our friends uh, rightfully has been pointing out that all these movies that we've been watching are at least 20 years old, which is accurate. <laughs> and this in spite of the fact that, as we said in the first episode, 
um, the head stopped watching movies in 1996, and then we immediately watched a movie from 1920, whatever. <laughs> 1943, Ben. 1943. <laughs> but no, the uh, Children of Men is a film from, I believe, 2006. And it features a director whom you've probably seen at least one other work by. But I'm not telling you what it is until next episode. Aww. Largely because I think the disparity between them is going to be especially fun to point out. <laughs> But yeah, I think you'll like it. It's a fantastic film. Very, very emotional for a very, very different reason from any of the ones we've watched so far. All right, then. Any other any other comments on Groundhog Day? Anybody who's listening, if you haven't seen it, or if you have, just, just watch it. Seriously. It is the best movie ever. There's no other way to put it. It is a perfect <laughs> film. Just like his last day. Exactly. See, now you're getting the point here. <laughs> but no, thank you for listening, everybody. Yep, thanks. <laughs>